All right. Good evening, everybody. Um, it's good to see uh, everybody is pitched up. <laughs> at least I think so. Um, if, I, if I look at the numbers here, it looks like we have a few. It's only Zintle that said hi. So um, I find that a little bit strange. Uh, maybe maybe you lost your keyboards or something. But um, yeah, um, can I just ask you once again, like I've been doing in every lesson, uh, just let me know if the audio is okay. Uh, like I said, that's that's the most important part uh, for me is to get the audio okay so that we can get the um, low data version out to people that need to hear that. And of course that you can hear it tonight <laughs> if you've joined us tonight. So just let me know there. Um, ah, hi Christina. <laughs> More people are pitching in now. So that's awesome. All right, audio is good. Thank you so much. Um, I think before we um, start going through this lesson, let's just bow our heads and we can ask the Lord to bless this, uh, this session. Father, we thank you so much that we can be here again tonight. Lord, thank you for this wonderful weather. Lord, thank you that um, you've been blessing us every single day. Lord, in, in so many ways, countless ways, Lord, um, some things... I'm ashamed to say we, we don't necessarily even recognize. But Lord, we thank you for blessing us tonight that we can open up your word, Lord, as, as a church, Lord, as a Bible school group. And we ask that you will please come and, and be our teacher. And Lord, we thank you that you've given us your word. Thank you, Lord, for um, sending us your spirit to, to live inside of us and to, and to help us to understand these things. Will you please come and speak into our hearts tonight, Lord, and um, please use or, or, or show us how we can use the things that we learn uh, for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so uh, let's just jump into the les lesson tonight. Um, last week we ended off in chapter 3 and verse 11, so I hope you've got your Bibles open in Philippians chapter 3. So we will pick it up here from verse 12 tonight. But just as a reminder of the context that we're looking at here, Paul just finished off listing all the things that he accomplished before being saved. Um, and he says here in verse 7, But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. He says that all of those things that he did before he was saved was useless to save him even though he thought it, it, it might save him back then. And he counted all of those things, he says later, as dung, so that he may win Christ. Folks, that is what is required to be saved. You can't rely on anything that you have done. It is 100% Jesus, or it's nothing. It, it, none of this, you know, Jesus will do 90%, and I will do 10%. Uh, no, your works are totally useless to save you. And that was Paul's point here. And we saw that he forsook everything so that he could follow after Jesus, even if it meant dying, because he knew that he would finally be resurrected again by Jesus. So let's pick it up in verse 12. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended, of Christ Jesus. So Paul set himself some new goals since he got saved. We saw last time 
that before he was saved, his goals were to establish his own righteousness in whatever way possible. And, he, and in, in human terms, he did well. He did really well. And, and he worked so hard for it. But after he met Jesus and got saved, all of his goals changed. His previous accomplishments that, that are, like I said, impressive from a human perspective, he counted as a loss and even as dung in comparison with the excellency of knowing the Lord. And we read about his new goals here in verse 10. Just, just read it with me quickly. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto, the, unto his death if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. So we looked at those verses last week. But here in verse 12, he says that he has not accomplished every goal yet. He does not know the Lord enough. Uh, he has not yet experienced the power of his resurrection and so on. So he was not yet perfect. And that goes for every one of us. Uh, we are not yet perfect. Uh, we are not yet what we should be, but one day we will be. You know, we should not be so hard on ourselves uh, to think that we are bad Christians or that we are hypocrites whenever we sin. Man, you will sin. You will sin. Now, should you sin? Well, of course not. But if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. That's First uh, John chapter 1 and verse 8. The point is here that even though we sin and we are not yet perfect, we should continue fighting. That's what Paul did. He says here, but I follow after. So he's actively going after this goal of being perfected. Uh, he says, but I follow after if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. So he's saying that Jesus got a hold of him for a very specific reason. And he is chasing after that thing so that he can get a hold of it. So Jesus had a goal in mind when he saved Paul. And this is actually the same goal that he has for all believers. You know, we read in, in Romans chapter 8 and verse 29 that God predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. And Paul was utterly, utterly dissatisfied with his current condition. So he pursued this goal of becoming more like Christ. So he made the Lord's goal his own goal. Look at verse 13. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. So once again, Paul makes sure that his audience doesn't misunderstand him. Now, remember that in this context, he is still addressing the, the, the teachings of those false teachers that said that you must obey the law of Moses in order to be saved. And he wants to be clear that he has not yet reached spiritual perfection. And it is not something that, that you actually can get in this life, but it is something to chase after. He says, but this one thing I do. So, He's completely focused, and he only has one thing in mind. Now, folks, that's how you reach a goal. <laughs> that's how all these successful businessmen and athletes do it. They only concentrate on that one goal that they have. And everything they do uh, is to help them to achieve that goal. 
Every business meeting, every long night, every early morning, every boring practice after practice after practice. They just keep on working towards that goal that they have in mind. And they won't allow any distractions to derail them. And so Paul also says here, forgetting those things which are behind. So he's not looking back at, at his past accomplishments or his past failures and relying them, relying on them or letting them hinder him throughout his life. Those are just distractions. You know, many Christians are actually held back by their grudges, their, their bitterness or their sins that, that they've committed. And others look at what they have already achieved and they think that, well, that's enough. That, that'll, that'll push me uh, towards the finish line. Folks, we need to forget those things that are behind. Instead, we should reach forth to those things which are before. That's the important part. You don't have yesterday anymore. It's gone. It's, it's in the past. So whether or not you've messed up yesterday, it's not the point. You should be reaching forth to that ultimate goal of becoming like Christ. The manner, or, or, or sorry, the picture of a runner actually comes in mind here. You know, when, when the race has started, he, he has to keep on looking forward and do whatever he can to reach that finish line in front of him. That's all that matters there. If he starts to look behind him, he will start tripping over himself and he will start to run into other runners. You know, you can actually see videos of things like that on the internet. But not now. It's Bible school now. Okay? <laughs> Folks, it doesn't work that way. That runner should direct all of his attention to the finish line. And in the same fashion, we should direct all of our attention to become more like Christ day by day. And so Paul says here in verse 14, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So Paul is continuously putting in effort to reach that goal so that he can get the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now, what, what is that? It is to be conformed to the image of Christ and to receive a reward from the Lord himself. You know, towards the end of his life, um, Paul said in 2 Timothy uh, 4, verse 7 to 8, I'll just read it for you. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. That crown represents the Lord's approval. And that is what we are working towards. Verse 15. Let us therefore, as many be as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God, God shall reveal even this unto you. So he says, as many as be perfect. Now, that seems to be a contradiction with verse 12, where Paul already said that, well, I'm not perfect. But folks, it's not. Okay, Don't worry about that. He's, he's not talking about being completely conformed to the image of Christ yet. Instead, he is talking about believers being complete, or, or sorry, believers being perfect because they are in Christ. He is talking about the, the standing of a believer. And this ties in with Hebrews 10 and verse 14, which says, For by one offering he, that's Jesus, for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. That's where our perfection comes from. It comes from Christ. 
Paul actually already said that uh, back in verse 9 here. He said, uh, Philippians 3 and verse 9, And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. So he says that, that we that have already received the righteousness of Christ, he says, let us be thus minded. So let us all have this attitude that he has described in the previous few verses. We, we should be focused on becoming more like Christ every day. We should put in all the effort that is required for it. You know, sometimes it, it is not easy to stop doing a particular sin or to change something in your life to be less like you and more like Christ. But that is what we should be working towards. We should be striving towards that. We should be pressing towards that mark, that, that goal. We should stop living in the past and, and forget those things which are behind whether they were good things or bad things. And we should focus our eyes on the prize that we are working towards. But even if you start to lose sight of pressing towards that goal, Paul says here, yeah, God will even show that to you. You know, perhaps he will use his word or, or by his spirit, or he might even have to chasten you for you to get your focus back. Because his will is that you should be gradually conformed to the image of his son. So he will help you uh, to get there. Verse 16. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. So the key here is consistency. It's consistency. Paul says that you should keep on doing whatever got you to the point in your Christian growth where you are now. Be consistent with it. Because that is what is going to get you closer towards the goal. Now, of course, if you've been doing things to stunt your Christian growth, well, you should cut that out and, and you should make use of the things that God put around you to get closer towards that goal. God has given us his word and he, and he says that we should desire his word like a newborn baby desires his mother's milk. He tells us to be constantly praying and then he, he even puts some good godly people in your life around you as examples that you can follow. And lastly, he might even put you through a few trials um, in order to mold you into the image of Christ. But, but God does work with you in this thing. You're not alone in it. Th these are all things that, that move us closer to that ultimate goal of being like Christ. And once you've started that, that's Paul's point here, is be consistent with it. And you will see the growth in your Christian life. Verse 17. Brethren, be ye followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye, as ye have us for an ensample. Now, I know that it sounds a little bit strange here um, to, to hear anybody say, you know, be followers of me. But Paul is not saying this because he is proud of what he has achieved. That, that's not the reason for this. He has spent some time already to tell them how to pursue this goal of becoming like Christ. And so he tells them the same thing as he told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 1, where he said, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. That's the point. He says, Follow me as I am doing my little best to press on towards this goal to follow Christ 
Because just like you, well, I have not reached that goal yet. <laughs> and that is why Paul is such a great example. Because he has not yet reached that ultimate goal of being like Christ or being fully conformed to his image. He still had sin in his life. He, he still messed up sometimes. Just like every one of us do. If he was perfect, well, he would not have been such a good example that believers could actually follow. You know, Jesus is the perfect model of what we should be. That, that is what we're striving towards. But you know, Jesus never had to strive for perfection. He is perfect in every way. He has always been perfect and he will always be perfect. So we don't really have an example in him on how to overcome our own imperfections. Because he has none. <laughs> but Paul was actually able to model that for us because he was also a sinner, saved by the grace of God, running the Christian race. And that is why he can actually tell, tell us or tell the Philippians to follow him as he follows Christ. But then in this verse you can see that he, he actually moves past himself and he tells the Philippians, Mark them which walk so as ye have us for an ensample. That's an example. So, Paul's example is great, all right, and, uh, and even great for them at Philippi, but he wasn't there with them. He was still stuck in Rome, in prison. So, they could only follow his example according to what he has written to them, or what they've heard uh, that he has done in the past, or, or maybe during that time that, that he was still there with them in Philippi, uh, they saw how he reacted to certain situations or whatever. Um, but that's what they had. And that's pretty much what we have from Paul. Okay, We didn't have him in the person, but we only have his writings. And, and that is great. Don't, don't misunderstand me. Uh, that is wonderful. But then there are also other believers who are also pursuing this goal of becoming like Christ. And if you know somebody like that, you can watch them. And you can use them as living examples of how you can pursue that goal in all sorts of situations that you may come, uh, may come across. And we actually have some great examples of people like that in our church. And I'd like to encourage you to, to spend some time with some believers who you know are doing their best to, to work on this thing, to, to become more like Christ, because you will learn so, so much from them. So, here in verse 17, he tells us to follow the good examples that you have around you. And, and that, that's a great thing. And then in verse 18 and 19, he's, he's um, going to insert an extra thought. So, you can actually see that there with the parentheses that start in verse 18 and end in verse 19. So, he just told them that there are good examples that they should follow and use, a, uh, you know, yeah, follow. But... Here in the parentheses, he's going to actually warn them of some of the bad examples. So verse 18. He says, For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. So of course, the, um, the examples of these false teachers uh, were not to be followed. Paul says that he often warned them about these deceivers and, and the way that they live. And he doesn't mind to actually keep on warning them about it. We actually see a similar thing in chapter 3 and verse 1 
where he told them, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. And then he, he started warning them about the false teachers. Um, he, he doesn't mind repeating himself when it comes to warnings. But notice here how he warns the Philippians. He's not happy about it. He's, he's not happy that there are uh, false teachers or enemies of the cross um, that, that have come in and maybe disturbed the church or whatever. Um, he's, he's really not happy. He says that he is we, weeping about it while he's even writing this. So even though they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, he is weeping about them. Now, I think that Paul was always concerned about the destiny of lost sinners. And that's what these false teachers are. They're, they're lost sinners. In Romans chapter 9 and verse 2, he, Paul even said that he had great heaviness in his heart and that he would even wish himself to be accursed from Christ so that the Israelites who, who rejected Christ um, could be saved. Now, of course, that's impossible. All right? and, and we went through that in, in Romans class. But that just shows us how much he cared for lost sinners. And then he was also concerned about the threat that these false teachers obviously posed to the church. He calls them the enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, as we all know, the cross um, symbolizes the atoning death of Jesus. So these false teachers were, were against salvation as the Bible actually describes it. And that is uh, by faith in Christ alone and not by your works. And Paul's concern is that some believers might actually start to follow the example set by these false teachers. You see, these false teachers <laughs> don't just come out and say, well, I'm a false teacher, follow me. Okay, That's not what they do. They're, they're I wouldn't say mostly, well, they're nice people, you know, uh, nice in the sense of uh, y you would be able to have a coffee with them, if I can put it that way. I the words are slipping me now. But anyway, um, you know, many of these false teachers are deceived themselves. And, and because they were, they were deceived, they were deceived first. And so they are deceiving others. That's what I'm trying to say. You say, I, I warned you at the start of the first lesson that the English is going to trip me up at some point. I think we've reached that point. <laughs> but now that these people that were deceived... Um, um, start to teach others. They are now deceiving others. And, and we have this um, uh, effect that more and more and more people get deceived. Now, Paul doesn't explicitly tell us here who these enemies of the cross are. It, it may have been the Judaizers that we've uh, talked about earlier in this chapter, or it may actually have been Gentiles who held to this idea that all matter is evil, but spiritual things are good. Right? That was a very, very popular teaching back in those days. And, and since the body, they say, is, is made out of matter, well, it is basically evil. And so because the body is evil, then there is nothing that you can do about it. And it doesn't really matter what you do with it. So you see where this is going. They taught that you can therefore satisfy every lust that the body has. And only the body is affected. So you can continue sinning, but it has no bearing on your spirit. And we still actually see this type of teaching today. You know, There are people that teach that your salvation does not have to lead to you living or, or striving to live a life of holiness. 
they say that Jesus, well, already paid for your sins, so it doesn't really matter how you live. And you can see how that, how that false teaching actually contradicts everything that we've learned in this chapter. These people are enemies of the cross because they teach lies about it. Verse 19. He says, whose end is destruction. So whoever these false teachers were, their end is destruction because they have rejected the biblical truth of salvation. They are lost sinners that are on their way to eternal destruction unless, of course, they repent. He goes further. He says, whose God is their belly. So everything these false teachers did, they did only to serve their own selfish, sinful lusts and not to serve Jesus Christ. They were lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, as Paul says in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 4. They bowed down to the God of their belly instead of worshipping the one true God. They were, as, as Jude writes in Jude and verse 4, they were ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul goes further to say here, um, whose glory is in their shame. So they liked to boast in the things that actually brought them to shame. I struggle to understand that, to be honest with you. Um, I mean, how can you actually go around and boast about the shameful things that you've done? But they did, and they still do that, because they don't see it as shameful. In fact, they, they don't see any problem with what they're doing. Now, whenever I read this verse, you know, I, or, or, or this part of this verse, whose glory is in their shame, I, I can't help but think about all these people that like to th like to brag about how drunk they got and the shameful things they did while they were drunk and so on. That is glorying in your shame. And that's the type of thing that these false teachers did. Now, lastly, Paul says here, who mind earthly things. So, they only cared about whatever earthly, sensual pleasures they could enjoy. They had no interest in the things of God. Verse 20. He says, For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Paul turns his attention back to the subject at hand now. You can see we, we, we reach the end of those parentheses. And... That is that believers should continue to pursue that ultimate goal of being conformed to the image of Christ. And the un underlying motivation for, motivation for that is because we have this hope for the return of Jesus. He says that our conversation is in heaven. So that means we are citizens of heaven. If you are saved today, you are a citizen of heaven, even though you currently live in this world. You know, Jesus said that he went to prepare a place for us so that we can be, th be there with him. Heaven is the place where our names are registered in the book of life. You know, that's uh, Revelation 13 and verse 8, where you can look at that. And where our inheritance waits for us. Peter talks about that in 1 Peter chapter 1 and, and verse 4 specifically. You know, we have rewards waiting for us there. And then, of course, the best part of it all. The, I want to say the crown jewel, which is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When we finally go home to heaven, 
we will see him there and we will be with him forever. Oh, what a thought, what a thought. So right now, we are waiting for him to come back and to fetch us and then take us home. Now, like I said, we live in this world, even though our citizenship is in heaven. So we are currently here on a worker's visa. All right. I, I don't know if you know what a worker's visa is. It's basically a piece of paper that you can get from a, from a foreign country that will allow you to live in their country as long as you work there. That's why we are here, isn't it? To work for the Lord Jesus, to bring sinners to Christ and to, and to be conformed to his image. Until, as Paul says in Colossians 3 and verse 4, until Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. We should not be like these false teachers in verse 18 and 19. We shouldn't um, follow their, their example and mind earthly things. We should set our affection on, the, on things that are above, not on things on the earth. That's also Colossians chapter 3 and verse 2. By the way, that's your attendance code for tonight. Colossians 3 and verse 2. We should always be looking towards heaven. And we should always be longing for Christ's return. And, and, and that's the point here. Look at verse 21. Verse 21. We sh uh, sorry. We shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. When Jesus comes to fetch us, that process of sanctification or, or the con conformation to the image of Christ is complete. It is then when our bodies are finally redeemed, as Paul describes in Romans 8 and verse 23. Now, right now, our bodies are vile. They are defiled with sin. They get hurt, they get sick, and they die. Now, don't think that that means that our bodies are worthless. All right? Don't, don't go off that way. It, it's not worthless. You know, David wrote in, in Psalm 139 and verse 14, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That's true, folks. I, I don't know if you've done this before, but take some time um, to read up on the human body, or just a, a, a part of the human body. It will blow your mind to find out what the different processes are and how everything sticks together um, and, and everything that's going on in your body. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. You know, when, when my wife was expecting our first child, we, we read up on the different stages of, of the development of a baby. And I, I think all new parents do that these days because you just get wonderful apps that, that help you with that and show you everything that's going on. It's amazing how a baby develops and the speed at which it happens. It, it's, it blows your mind. And that's just the physical part. Spiritually, we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us since we got saved. Just keep your place here. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. That gives me time to just see if everything is still fine with the live stream. <laughs> Zintle, you look excited for Bible school tonight. <laughs> All right. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 19. He says, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, 
which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, since he lives inside of you. And now we can glorify God in our bodies, because we are his property. He bought us with a price, as Paul said there. So, when Paul says that these bodies are vile, it is in comparison to the bodies that Jesus will give us at the rapture. Those brand new bodies will be fashioned, he says, like unto his glorious body. We will have the same kind of body as Jesus had when he was resurrected. You can read more about that also in 1 Corinthians 15, where, where Paul expands on that. You know, I've, I've shared this fact uh, with my daughter some time ago, and since then, she's asked me a few times, you know, whether she will recognize us when we get to heaven. You know, perhaps she's worried she will get lost or, or uh, maybe not know who we are and so on. Uh, and because she just loves us so much, you know. But, but perhaps you've wondered that before. I know many people wonder, will I recognize my mother when I get there or my wife or my husband or whatever? Well, think about it. After Jesus rose from the dead and he received his resurrection body, people, will actually, people were actually able to recognize him. Now, of course, some people didn't recognize him immediately and he had to help them out. But the point is they could recognize him. So just like him, we will also be recognizable. We will be able to eat. I know some of you are happy about that. <laughs> All right? We will be able to talk and walk. But we won't be restricted like we are like right now, you know. Jesus was able to disappear in one place and then reappear in another place. That's cool, all right? That is so cool. <laughs> he, he wasn't even able to enter a room. Oh, oh, sorry, he was even able to enter a room while the door was still locked. That's amazing. That's the type of thing that we will be able to do because we will have a body like his. Folks, we won't have any sickness anymore. We won't feel pain. We won't have any suffering. We will have no temptations. We will have no sin anymore. And we will finally be able to, to perfectly serve and praise the Lord. Oh man, that, that, that is something to look forward to. That really is. And so Paul says that if Jesus can subject the entire universe to himself... That is to subdue all things to himself, is to subject it to himself. Well, if he is able to do that, then he has the power to transform our bodies into a body like his. That's amazing. Oh, we have so much to look forward to, folks. So much. Uh, chapter 4 and verse 1. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I think it's clear by now, all right, and he makes it clear in this verse that Paul loved the Philippians so, so much. And now we see it here again. I mean, twice in the same verse, he calls them dearly beloved. Sorry, and, and once again, he emphasizes that he was longing for them, you know, and, and we went through that in chapter 1 and verse 8. And he calls them my joy and crown. So you see, Paul didn't let his circumstances dictate his level of joy. All right? His circumstances were bad. 
All right, we, we, we've, we've talked about that. Remember, he, he wrote this epistle while he was still imprisoned in Rome, but he rejoiced in the Lord and, and also rejoiced, as we see here, in his fellow believers. He told the Thessalonians something similar in, in 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 19 and 20, where, where he said, For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? And verse 20 he says, For ye are our glory and joy. Now when he calls them his crown, his joy and crown, but when he's talking about the crown, he's not referring to a royal crown. right? Instead, he's referring to the type of crown that athletes used to get uh, in this time. All right, those, oh, I practice this to say this, all right, my Afrikaans tongue struggles with this, but it's called a laurel wreath. Oh, I think I got it, laurel wreath. Okay, I won't overdo it, but <laughs> it's those leaves that they made a crown out of. And nowadays, we, we would uh, refer to a trophy or a medal because that's what we hand out now. It is something that you can show off as, as proof uh, of your victory. So... The Philippians were Paul's crown, or they were his trophy. They were the proof that his service to the Lord was not in vain. Actually, quite the contrary. And he tells them, So stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. So that is, to stand fast in the Lord in the way that he's described it now for the, for the past few verses. Keep on chasing that goal of becoming like Christ, because we will reach it one day. When he comes and changes us. Oh, wonderful. Look at verse 2. <laughs> yeah. I beseech Eudeus and beseech Syntyche. I think that's how you pronounce it. I, I actually read it up. And the other way that I found that you can pronounce that name is Syntyche. Something like that. Syntyche. I decided to start with Syntyche. So you're also stuck with that now. I beseech Eudeus and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. Now these were two ladies, and, and they had some sort of problem between them that has obviously escalated above a tiny private matter. Now, you will remember that we saw back in chapter 2 that unity within the church is extremely important. It was there from verse 1 uh, in chapter 2. Now, of course, there can be differences between us. But we can't allow our personal preferences to disturb the unity within the church. You know, we have no, ideas, no idea what these ladies were actually fighting about. Paul doesn't tell us. But it was serious enough for Paul to publicly address it in this letter. And, well, now it's in the Bible. <laughs> All right. Folks, that must have been embarrassing. Really. You know, I can't imagine... Being one of those ladies sitting in church, you know, while the pastor is reading, everybody, please gather around. We've received a letter from Paul. Thank you, brother Epaphroditus, for bringing this to us. Um, let's read. <laughs> and then these ladies are sitting in the church while the pastor is reading this out loud to the whole congregation. I think it's one of those situations that you just wish that the earth would swallow you all, you know. <laughs> I'm sure, sure that the Lord will also address the issues between believers when we get to the judgment seat of Christ. If you think it was bad for those ladies that we read about, uh, just think how it will be over there. You know, perhaps, I don't know, this is my imagination, but 
perhaps we'll have all the saints gathered around there, and then the Lord might say something like, well, Chris, Yuan, um, you guys should be of the same mind. Why didn't you let go of your pride and just love one another like I told you to? Alright? Because pride is actually the issue here, isn't it? When people hold on to their pride, they insist on what they think is the right thing, regardless of anybody else's opinion. And that is how church unity is disturbed. You will be much better off sorting out your differences while we are still here on earth than to let the Lord sort it out for you in judge, at the judgment. Now, Paul says he beseeches these ladies to be of the same mind in the Lord. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with that word, but what that means is it is to beg somebody earnestly or, um, or desperately to do something. So, Paul is begging these ladies to be reconciled with each other because he knows the, the dangers uh, that it poses, you know, if, if it were to disrupt the church unity. Verse 3. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers, whose names are in the book of life. He says, I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow. Now, who this is specifically, Paul doesn't tell us. He doesn't give us a name. And there are some explanations that have been given by different people on who this actually might be. Some people think this is somebody that Paul knew. But for whatever reason, he decided not to name this person's name. Now, I don't, I don't know about that. All right? It's possible, but I think it's unlikely since Paul was actually naming names here. You know, we, we've read about Timothy and, and Epaphroditus, Eudius right now, Syntyche and, and Clement, who we're going to, well, who we read about in this verse. Now, other people have actually suggested that the word that was translated here as yoke fellow, should actually have been left untranslated and that it should be used as a proper name for somebody. Now, the word uh, for this is suzugos. Suzugos. I, I, I think I have this right. It's S-U-Z-U-G-O-S. Now, we have the correct translation for the word suzugos here. It is yoke fellow. All right. So the theory goes that Paul is making a play, play on words here by calling this brother his true yoke fellow. And he did a similar thing in the book of, of Philemon. Uh, he did, did that with Onesimus in Philemon in verse 10 and 11, where he said the following, I'll just read it for you. I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds, which in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me. And Onesimus, incidentally, means profitable. So you can you can see the play on words there. So this br brother Suzugos was a true yoke fellow. And I, I must admit that I am somewhat convinced by that theory. Uh, we'll still have to look a little bit more in that. But whoever this person was that Paul was addressing here, he was a true yoke fellow. That, that term obviously invokes this picture of two oxen that are pulling the same load, you know, because they are yoked together. So this may be one person, or it may actually be that he is addressing anyone who is in the same yoke as him, you know, the people that are striving towards the same goal to spread the gospel among the nations. 
that may be. But he says, I entreat thee, true yoke fellow, help those women which, which labored with me in the gospel. Help those women. All right, who's that? Verse 2, Judeus and Syntyche. So help them to make peace with each other. This issue between these ladies mentioned in verse 2 has probably become so bad that they needed a mediator to help them resolve it. Now, right here, uh, we see that they weren't just people that, that came in the church to cause trouble. Paul said that they labored with him in the gospel. You see that there? Help those women which labored with me in the gospel. We read in Acts chapter 16 and verse 13 that Paul went down to the riverside at Philippi to, to go and to speak with a group of women that he, that he met there. Or, or, sorry, the group of women met there for prayer. So he went down there to speak with them. Now, it's possible that Judas and Syntyche were part of that group of women. And if that is so, then they were uh, some of the founding members of the church in Philippi. And they were also working with Paul to spread the gospel. So they were faithful members of the Philippian church. Now ju that just goes to show that even the most faithful and mature Christians can still be overcome by selfish pride if they aren't careful and if they don't check their hearts. But now I also want, to, want you to see something else here. You know, people often accuse Paul of being sexist and misogynistic. They, they say that he had a very low view of women because he said things like in 1 Timothy 2 and verse 12, I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. Now, we won't give a full treatment of this topic in this class tonight, but here in verse 3, we have a great example of how Paul actually viewed women. He even takes the time to specifically entreat this yoke fellow to help them because they labored with him in the gospel. He saw them as fellow laborers. He truly loved them. Folks, women are an important part of the ministry. They have a great role to play. Now, sure, they're not allowed to preach in church. That's just not their role. But they still play an important role in the ministry. They can preach the gospel. You know, they can, the, the older women or the women that are saved for longer than others can actually teach the younger women in Christ um, different things about life and about the Bible and, 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 and so on. You know, many ladies can actually teach children much better than most men can. <laughs> and there are countless of other examples of things that, that just wouldn't work as well without the ladies. So please, ladies and men, for that matter, don't, don't listen to the world to find out what they say the Bible says about women. Read it for yourself. Find out what, it, what the Lord has to say about it. He says, They labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers, whose names are in the book of life. Now, we don't know much about Clement, actually. You know, there's, there's no real way to be sure who he was. That's about as much as we get. Clement was a very common name back in those days. You know, it's like Yuan or John. <laughs> you know, uh, every, every second guy is called that. So it's hard to associate him with any other Clement that we may read about in history. But 
Paul makes sure not to leave anybody out. So he groups them together by say, saying they are his fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. <laughs> it doesn't matter what their names were. What matters most is that their names are written in the book of life. That's the book that, that God keeps with all of the names of those that are saved. Um, now, I, I'd just like to show you one or two instances where we read about the book of life. So keep your place here and let's go to Exodus chapter 32. Exodus 32. And we'll get, we're going to read there around about verse 31, 32. But in this chapter, we read how the Israelites asked Aaron to make them a god. Because, well, they said they don't know where Moses was. Well, actually they did know, know that he was up on Mount Sinai and he was spending time with God. But he was away for so long that they thought he disappeared or something. Now, that's no reason to make an idol for yourself, is it? <laughs> All right? Folks, your faith should not be dependent on whether or not the pastor is around. But many people are, are unfortunately only faithful as long as the pastor or somebody else is around to see what they are doing. It shouldn't be that way. All right? We, we, we serve God. So please, if you realize that that is what you are doing, it's time to repent. Okay? Moses was understandably very disgusted when he came down and disappointed when he came down from the mountain and he saw what the Israelites were busy with. And he said in verse 31 here, Exodus 32 verse 31, And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold. So he realized the, the enormity of their sin. Look at verse 32. Yet now... If thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book which thou hast written. Blot me out of thy book which thou hast written. Moses was willing to have his name blotted out of the book of life if the Lord would not forgive the sin of the Israelites. As far as I'm aware... This is the first time that we read about the book of life in the Bible. If you, if you knew, know of any other verses earlier than this, please let me know in the comments. But the last time that we read about this is obviously in the book of Revelation. So you can turn to Revelation, verse, oh, sorry, chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. And in this chapter, we read about the great white throne judgment. Revelation chapter 20. And, th and this is the judgment that, that all the unrighteous people uh, of all time will go through. Re Revelation 20. <clears throat> we'll get there from verse 11. And I saw a great white throne and them that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open. Oh, you know, I, I, I always get goosebumps whenever I read this. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. 
and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Every person there will be judged according to his works. And if your name is not found in the book of life, you will be cast into the lake of fire. And there will be, you will be there for all of eternity with no chance of ever being redeemed. Is your name written in the book of life? Well, okay. How can you know? Well, have you put your faith and trust in Jesus alone to save you? Now, I, I'm not talking about knowing the facts about how salvation works or, or even all these things that we've learned here in, in Bible school or even agreeing with them. That's not what I'm talking about. Have you put 100% of your trust in Jesus alone to save you? Now, some of you are sitting there and thinking, well, that's a strange thing to ask in a Bible school setting. I don't really care. <laughs> okay? I think it is extremely important to do some introspection and to make sure that you are saved. You need to be sure of that, even if you are a Bible school student. Is your name written in the book of life? I pray that it is, and, uh, but if you are not saved... It's not too late. If you need to get saved, I'll encourage you, you know, turn off this video or if you're listening to the audio version, stop it, put it away and go and talk to God about it. Stop trusting in your own good things that you do to save you and put your trust in the Lord Jesus to save you. We already saw that you will be judged according to your works. They're not all good, are they? Folks, when you get saved, your name gets written in the book of life. And it is never erased from it. Now, the last time that we read about the book of life is in Revelation 21. And in this context, we read about the new Jerusalem that will come down from heaven. And then in verse 27, we read about the requirements for entering that great city. Revelation 21 verse 27. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, Neither whatsoever worketh abomination, or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. So only those whose names are in the book of life will actually enter in. Now for now, in the church age, it means everybody who are saved by, by grace and through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Now let's go back to Philippians chapter 4. And we'll end off in verse 4 tonight. Philippians 4 and verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. You know, you definitely have reason to always rejoice if you are in the Lord. And that's why Paul says it here twice. You know, rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. You know, we've seen that uh, in previous lessons, I think it was last week, that rejoicing or, or joy is the major theme in this epistle. We've, we've read it over and over and over again where it says rejoice or my joy is in this and that and so on. And this is a great reminder for the Philippians because it wasn't always easy to them to be joyful, you know, because of their circumstances. We spoke about this when we got to uh, chapter 3 and verse 1. 
that joy is not an emotion, that, uh, this joy that he's talking about, but it is the trust that we have in God, that he is in control of everything, and that he will somehow work all things out for your good and for his glory. Folks, it's not always easy to find joy in your circumstances. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know what's going on with you. Um, I only know what's going on with me. And I know it's not always easy to rejoice in, in whatever's going on in life. Um, and I, I think especially these days where so many people have lost jobs and, and or, or aren't, aren't sure if they will still have a job in a week's time or two weeks' time or whatever it may be or, or, or whatever else. People being sick, people dying all over the place. It's not easy to find joy in that. But we can always rejoice in the Lord. Like I said last week, He's the one constant. We can always rejoice, rejoice in Him. Now that's what I have for you tonight. And I think on that note, let's just, let's just pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for being with us tonight. Oh Lord, thank you for that book of life. Thank you that we can know that there is no eraser for that. <laughs> Thank you that we can know that's marked with permanent marker. You don't tear pages out of it or anything, Lord. Thank you so, so much, Lord, that you've come down, that you've humbled yourself, even unto death, even the death of the cross. Oh, Lord, we thank you that we can know that you are, you are exalted on high and that you're sitting on the right hand of God the Father right now. Lord, we so look forward to seeing you. Lord, it isn't always easy um, um, to keep on working on this sanctification. But Lord, we want that. We want to follow after you. We want to follow after that goal of becoming or, or being conformed to your image. We know it's your will, Lord, and help us, Lord, that, that it will... Um, be our will, or, or that it would be in the forefront of our minds. Let me rather say that. Lord, thank you so much for all that you do. Thank you for being with us tonight. Please speak to us in our hearts, Lord. And if anybody listening to this is not saved, Lord, I pray that they will, uh, or that you will work in their hearts, and that you will prick them, and that they will run to, to you, Lord. Because there's only salvation, or that's the only place that we can find salvation. Thank you for everything you do. Please be with us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.